You know, uh, before we send the kids down, you know what's really beautiful about our time together? I think about how Jesus ministered into the crowds and everybody flooded to get just a touch from him. Folks, I want to tell you today, don't, don't wait to receive a touch from the Lord. You are, you are uh, worthy because God made you worthy. And uh, don't, don't leave the service today without allowing God to minister to you and running after him. And I think it's so vitally important for us. What a beautiful song to end with. I'm going to sing that song when I get to heaven. So if we can have our young people go off to Children's Church, they're going to have a great time for you. Give your Bibles if you want to turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. What we're talking about this morning, and actually the next few weeks, has been the portrait of a church. And this week is about a portrait of a faithful church. How many of you know it's important to, to have a faithful group of people together? I want to talk about what a faithful church is going to look like in these last days. Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 2, starting with verse 8. It's the church of Smyrna. Now, this is going to be a difficult one for me. This was this is a hard one for me simply because I live in America. I'm a Western Christian, so I'm kind of 80% lazy, 20% after God. Can I get an amen there? We are, uh, it, I'm sitting there. It was funny. I was texting Rod and telling him about Sunday and stuff, and I was saying, yeah, it's the faithful church. We're we'll going into that about the church of Smyrna being faithful in the midst of persecution. He's like, yeah, right while you're in Branson, you know, celebrating with the Lord. It was funny. I'm like, it was a funny moment, but uh, Smyrna was a church that um, was going to suffer persecution and, and deal with persecution. And um, we have the more persecutions going on in the world than any time in history. And uh, the, the church is under persecution. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's actually something that when you have persecution, you have the greatest revivals in the world going on. In fact, Francis Chan, how I many we saw Francis Chan last week? He went to the underground church in China, uh, and he was interviewing these churches, and they were the pastors were getting sad. And he's like, what's going on? And he's like, well, the, the leadership in China is allowing us to kind of do more. So our churches are they're less underground and they're more in houses and stuff. And he goes, I'm, people are just sitting around now and they just want to hear another message. He goes, when we were getting persecuted, the people were excited and they wanted to go after things. They go, what do we do? And uh, so a little opposite than what we're doing now. And, and uh, Francis was explaining kind of in the churches here, people are looking for the, the latest, greatest little service time and the best kind of church to look at, what works great for me as a single person, what's a great worshiping church. He said, we've got it all backwards. And so I wanted to talk today about a portrait of a faithful church. And uh, if you'd help me, let's pray together as we dive into the personality of the church Smyrna and understanding that we're to be faithful even when we face great persecution. Father God, today I don't know kind of how to start, where to go. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would Allow the words of these pages of your great book, your voice, to come through these pages. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit would minister to all of us in understanding that you call us to be faithful, even to the end. And Lord, I pray and thank you that you'll give us the crown of life, Lord Jesus, as we finish the race that you have set before us. Lord, I pray for each person here that there would be a pattern in all of our lives, that we are remain faithful to you, God, that we won't be wishy-washy, Father. But our hearts would be set on fire to go after you in spite of what comes against us and our church. God, we thank you that we are the church 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Lord, I thank you that you've put the enemy under our, our feet. And Lord, that we are a victorious people. And help us to rise up, God, today to new things that you have for us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. Amen. Starting with verse 8 of chapter 2, it says, Write this letter to the angel of the church of Smyrna. This is a message from the one who was the first and the last, who was dead, but is now what? Alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because they are synagogue. Their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw you into prison and test you. You will suffer for ten days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. I think it's amazing how he starts out. Jesus says to them that I am the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. And I died and I am now alive. I want you to know the only thing that we have to hold on to today is the risen Savior because because He is risen, we are risen too. We won't be affected by death. It's an amazing thing that God gives us new life. First things first, what does a faithful church look like in these last days? I think what's happening in the Western society is we have church just completely going away. And uh, from the Spirit of Christ, we are running from God. We're kind of getting into plural modes and kind of non-confrontational modes and I call them happy modes. Everybody wants to be happy. And so we kind of lose the value that God has for us in the last days for the church. But I want you to turn real quick to correlate a story. Jesus said to them and says, you're going to suffer big time for 10 days. How would you like to have that prophecy? I stand up here. Somebody gets that prophecy. Like, you're going to go through 10 days of some of the worst suffering you've ever been through. They're like, great. Got any good news for me, God? Turn real quick to Daniel chapter 1. This kind of correlates to that. We're going to talk today a little bit about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, these were great men. And they were brought into Nebuchadnezzar's court. And I wanted to correlate the story of how you and I are as we remain faithful. I think first things first for us in the last days, if you can remember, is to have strong conviction. In other words, know what you believe and why you believe it. And actually have principle that you're standing on. Don't just be... Flaky out there, you've heard the snowflake terms out there. But don't be flaky, be someone who actually has a backbone to believe the things of God and what you're going to stand for. And I believe in the last days if we stand for things and we believe the things of God, we will suffer some form of persecution. In fact, Jesus says, if you follow me, they're going to hate you because they hated me. So when I want us to understand kind of where that's going. In Daniel chapter 1 Verses 1 through 20. Now, the third year of King Jericho's reign in Judah, kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave him victory over King Jericho of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Bab Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. And then the king ordered uh, Aspenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning. 
are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them to daily rations of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Haniah, Mishael, and Asherah were four of the young men chosen from the tribe of Judah. And the chief of staffs renamed these with the Babylonian names. Daniel would be called Belshazzar. Uh, Hanai was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azrael was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. I want you to hone in on that. I want to read that again. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for David, but he responded, I am afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. And Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and uh, Ezra. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. That'll be a big test for me, let me tell you. <coughs> Daniel said, At the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food, and then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of food and wine and provided for the others. God gave these four men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect in literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Haniel, um, Mishael, and Ezra. So they entered the royal service, and whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. I think it's important for us to note that was a very long little thing I wanted us to read there. First of all, these men were dedicated to God. If you're going to have strong conviction, you're going to have to understand that you're going to say, I'm going to dedicate myself to God. He said, I will not eat the king's food. The problem with the king's food in Babylon was this, that it was offered to their gods. So this food was dedicated to their gods. And so you said, well, how does that affect me in my life? I want you to understand there's things in your life that we don't have to take part in because they just simply are not of God. And we can say, I don't want any part of that thing in my life. And so we separate ourselves to it. And there are things in your life where God's going to convict you of and say, listen, if you're going to walk after me, I want you to know, don't do this. Don't be a part of that. Have strong conviction. Dr. Martin Luther King said this, the Christian is called upon not to be like a thermometer, conforming to the temperature of society, but he must be like a thermostat serving to transform the temperature of his society. You know, where are we right now? And as believers, I dare say, and I would say, this is exactly what God would speak to his church in the Western society, that we're more thermometers than thermostats. That we just go with the flow. That we have absolutely no strong conviction about anything. That we just do what is ever good in our mind for the day. 
Strong conviction means strong dedication. So when I go over here and they say, man, it's getting hot in here, right? We turn the temperature down and the thing gets settled down. And I think that's where believers, when we get into life and understanding, we're not to be thermometers going along with the flow of society. We're to be thermostats. And you all know the societal changes that are going on and the cultural wars are, and they are wars. And what Christians need to be found is we better be on the right side of the page. I think of Illinois right now where Pritzker just signed the most crazy liberal law in the history of the land concerning unborn babies. What side will we be on? These are cultural wars. You say, well, man, I can be a Christian and I can kind of bleed in between the pages. But we don't see the church in Smyrna doing that. The church in Smyrna had strong conviction. In fact, the reason that they were poor, if you actually do your history, was because there was boycotts going on and they weren't partaking in the things that would have caused them to get more money. You mean to tell me walking after God might affect my finances? Yes. You can't be a believer and just choose what you want to do. Not if you're going to read the Word of God. You can't live how you want to live because you're living for God now. Your life is hidden in God. And this is the, the idea of being faithful. Do you know when I asked Anne to be my wife and we said our vows before the altar, there were certain vows that we set that, listen, I'm going to be faithful to you no matter what. When we come to Christ, we are coming to Christ and getting in covenant with Him. Now here's the beautiful thing about God. I love that scripture that says, when we're faithless, He remains faithful. How many have been a little unfaithful to the Lord in your past before? Thank God that when we're unfaithful to Him, He remains faithful. And that it is through grace we have been saved, not of works. But now what happens, as James has speaks to us, is he said, you want to see faith? And I will show you works. Strong conviction. Do you have any convictions in your life today? I tell you what God will do with those convictions. He will make you ten times more capable than everyone else. Even in captivity, even in your daily struggles. You know, they were in, they were in Babylon. It wasn't a great place to live. We live in Babylon, wouldn't you agree? <clears throat> Chuck E. Tate says every place we go is preparation for where God is taking us. God can use our past experiences, good or bad, to prepare us for future battle. He's saying to the church in Smyrna right now, get ready because you're getting ready to go into a battle. I believe that in America we already are in the battle. It's just the church is asleep. And as we wake up and we understand that God has placed us in a battle, there are worthy fights for us to engage in. There are causes that God says, you know what, hold on to that. I'm going to be tested. All of us will be tested in our faith. Every one of us in our faith, wherever we are, young or old, you're going to be tested in your faith. You're going to have to make choices at school, young person. You're going to have to have choices in relationships. You're going to have choices in jobs where they'll ask you to do something. You say, I can't do that. Will you be the responsible one? Will you be the one that says, you know what, no matter what, no matter what the cost, 
I am not going to compromise my faith in Christ. Test. Test there means pyrazo. Everyone say pyrazo. You guys are sounding Greek on me. It's testing of a believer's loyalty, strength, opinions, disposition, condition, faith, patience, character. Perezo determines which way one is going and what they are made of. Folks, I want to ask you today in your Christian faith, which way are you going? Which way are you turning and you think about where you're testing? Where is your heart being pulled to? And that's where we understand we develop character and we develop the understanding that God wants to work His will in our life. And as it comes out, we understand that we're being tested right now. God may throw you into a situation of fire as He refines you and it goes to a beautiful place. Which way are you present going? Or which way are you presently going and where do you find yourself leaning? David Plate writes this, Learn to walk and God's will on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis. You know, that's the big question. What's God's will for my life? You know what God's will for your life is? To enjoy Him every day. Amen. Wow, right? That was deep. <laughs> no, I want to know God's will for my life. What do I do in all the career and the moves that I've got to make? What's, what's God's big, huge future? And we think what happens with God when we come to faith with Him is we find this map underneath some leaves. And we say, wow, this is Steve's map for life, and this is what it is. But see, the future doesn't work like that. And God's plan and His will for your life doesn't work for that. You go after God and you start to enjoy Him. And then something unfolds here, and you go after that, and He takes you on a different path. And the path He might take you on might not be a path you've ever been on. It's something very beautiful that happens. As God works moment by moment and day by day as we have courage and conviction in our life. I wanted to read you a story of how strong conviction and courage works. <coughs> the transformed life, he writes, a story. As Jesus transforms our thoughts and our desires, he conforms our wills to his way. I think about Luke, a member of the church. I have the privilege of pastoring, David Plate writes. I have seen God turn Luke's thoughts and desires and will upside down from inside out. When Luke was in college, he found himself living the typical collegiate lifestyle. Though he had heard of God's love, he tried to drown out God's voice with alcohol as much as he could. By God's grace, it didn't take long for Luke to come to the end of himself as he realized the emptiness of the worldly pleasures he was pursuing. Luke said, One night, I cried out for God to change me through Christ. That night, Jesus saved Luke from his sin, and Luke died to himself and became alive in Christ. Not long after that, he was baptized. Immediately after college, Luke began or became a successful businessman with significant means. At the same time, he was growing as an understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. After a sermon one day on God's will to be worshipped in all the world, Luke wrote to me and said, David, I realize that the entire reason God has blessed me with the business I lead is so that I can fulfill his purpose in the world. He has blessed me not so that I can drive a BMW or live in a big house or have prestige. He has blessed me to glorify him. As he began to understand God's will in the world, Luke started intentionally meditating on and memorizing God's word. He told me, yeah, I used to not even bring my Bible to church. But now it's God's word and it's changing my life. My Bible no longer sits in one place as it now comes with me to work everywhere I go. I just want to know and follow him. Before long, Luke memorized the Sermon on the Mount. He told me, my insatiable desire for business books and seminars and motivational speakers has completely gone away. 
God has replaced the desire for a hunger for his word. I'm now reading through the entire Old Testament. Scripture is coming alive as I begin to see the beauty of the interplay between the Old and the New Testament. As I aggressively read the word, I am encouraged in the Lord and that he is daily changing my desires. Luke was not just content to soak in God's word for himself, so he began teaching God's word at church. As Luke's desire for God's word began to grow, so did his passion for Christ and pray. He wrote to me about a prayer time he had with a friend named Stephen, saying, Stephen and I prayed together this morning for the first time. Wow, I thought we were just going to get together and pray over a request list for our small group. But we never even got to it because we were so busy pouring ourselves out before the Lord. The Holy Spirit's presence was so strong it was almost overwhelming. We both looked up after tear-stained faces after about an hour and a half and prayed and said, What in the world just happened? After another similar prayer time, Luke wrote to Stephen saying, Stephen, after you left our prayer time, the scripture came to mind. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who take refuge in him. We literally tasted and saw that the Lord is good this morning. On another day, Luke told me we had an awesome prayer time this morning as we prayed for about two hours. It's amazing how good God is and how he longs for us to intercede and talk with him. God is birthing in me the desire not only to pray and fellowship with others, but also to pray without ceasing about other things. Continual praying led to regular fasting in Luke's life. He found himself desiring God's in ways he'd never experienced. Meanwhile, Luke's business continued to grow, and he was invited to give an address at his corporation's annual nationwide meeting. Sounds like a pretty fun thing, right? Though he was nervous, he knew God had given him the opportunity to speak about Christ, and so he incorporated the gospel into different facets of his speech. After he finished, he sat down, and a manager across the table said to him, Luke, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. But I want to know more. In response, Luke fully explained the gospel to this manager and everyone else listening at his table. When he was finished, Luke asked the manager, Would you like to turn from your sin and yourself and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord? To Luke's surprise, with ten other people at the table looking on, the manager said yes, and that night he became a follower of Jesus. So that's what strong conviction looks like. Where are you presently going and where are you turning? The transformed life for you and I is a little different, isn't it? It's a little different than the kind of the good life and the enjoyable life. It's a little different than having your best of everything now. It's going after Christ. Start integrating your life, by the way, in your faith, in every area of your life. Your work life, your social life, your church life. And you'll find as you take your faith seriously... It'll affect your total life. I challenge you maybe to do like what Luke did. Bring your Bible to work. What an idea, right? Bring your Bible to work. You say, well, well, Pastor, I have the app I've downloaded. Here's my only problem with the Bible app. Let me tell you what it is. I use the Bible app out of convenience, but I don't use it for everything. Here's why I don't use the Bible app. I think with the millennials nowadays, you get to the point where the Bible just gets reduced to an app. And so the pages of Scripture, carrying this around is a little different, and having the ability to write notes and to see things on the pages come to life, and promises that God gives you. Use your Bible app. It's blessed me. It's blessed millions of other people. But folks, get back into your Bible so you can develop strong conviction for the Lord. By the way, your faith was not meant to be quarantined to Sundays, was it? And if your faith is just basically boiled down to the one hour a week, every once in a while then it's not faith at all. And that brings us to the next point, staying 
courageous. Revelation 2.10, Jesus declared this, Don't be afraid for what you are about to suffer. What an amazing thing Jesus said to them. Don't be afraid for what you're about to suffer. Do you know one of the greatest things we're facing in our society now, with all of the great things we have, all the money, all the wealth, everything we have, opportunity in America, we have some of the greatest problems with anxiety and fear. That's the greatest issue right now, psychologically speaking, in our day, is anxiety and fear. Mark Batterson writes, Bonnie Martin is a licensed professional counselor with expertise in complex trauma. Her job is helping the victims of violence, exploitation, and human trafficking get out of the nightmare they find themselves in. One of the defining moments of your life occurred during a very difficult season. In the height of her ministry career, her marriage was failing. Despair was closing in on her like a dense fog. Bonnie went on a missions trip to South Africa with her father just to escape her painful situation for a little while. On the last day there, they went on a safari and came within two feet of a lion. Separated from a chain-link fence, Bonnie playfully said, Here, kitty, kitty. (laughs) And that's when the lion lunged at the fence and let out a roar that still makes her shudder decades later. My nerves caught fire, said Bonnie. It felt like death by electrocution. Bonnie learned from her guide that a lion roar is meant to communicate dominance, to assert its authority in a territory. And the only thing that will silence a lion's roar is the roar of a more powerful lion. And that's why Bonnie heard that still small voice from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said this to Bonnie. Bonnie, Satan walks around like a roaring lion looking to devour. But do you see that fence? That fence is the blood of Jesus the blood of the lamb. Satan may roar at you, but he cannot touch you. He is the one in the cage. You are the one that's free. But you've been living your life like you're the one in the cage, and he is the one that's free. Strong courage for all of us in what we face is realizing that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I don't know what fears you face today. You're worried about tomorrow, next week what the future holds for this, maybe physically, whatever it is. But I can tell you this, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I'm telling you that the enemy walks around roaring like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. But I want to tell you, you know who we serve? We serve the lion of the tribe of Judah. We serve the conquering king. Jesus is not coming back as baby Jesus. He is a ruling, reigning king. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's who we serve. Don't be afraid for what you are about to suffer. Wait, Jesus, I thought I'm supposed to get away from the suffering. Now you're going to go through, there will be ten days of extreme pressure in your life. We say, wait a second, do I have to suffer? At some level you will. Some may give their life up for Christ, but if you are a follower of Christ, you will suffer some way. Mark Sayers, when he was going through a really hard time with anxiety in his life, he said, I did not want the God who would come in the storm with fire and smoke and lightning. I did not want the God who rebukes with blasts of breath from his nostrils. I wanted a God who would give me a nice big hug and then offer me free plane tickets to a sunny retreat away from the storm. Isn't that how we are? 
think that we're just supposed to run away from our problems. And God throws us into problems. We think, man, I don't want to get near that stuff. There might be some suffering. I might have to take a stand for my faith in Christ. God forbid we do that. Our contemporary culture, he goes on to write, even our Christian leadership culture, has taught us that when we see a storm coming, we should run the other way and we should retreat and take a break. And God would teach me to encounter that God loves to meet people in the middle of the storm. You think about Paul and Silas in the jail, right? They were suffering for Christ, and in the middle of that moment, at the midnight hour, they sang praises to God, and God break, broke through. I don't know how God breaks through. I don't know what He does. <laughs> but I know God is up to something. Turn real quick to 1 Peter chapter 4. Excuse me for my little frog I've got here. First Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. Here we go, everyone. You want to get happy today? You want your happy pills? So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian. For then the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder or stealing or making trouble or prying into other people's affairs. Uh-oh. But it is not the shame... To suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. What an amazing thing. He said, so be happy when you're insulted for being a Christian. I mean, you know there's a lot of insults going around the world today for Christians. You're suffering for His sake and the poverty that they experienced had to do with some economic boycott. They possibly didn't take part in the religious ceremonies and the trade guilds of the day and suffered economically. Some of you will be rejected by friends for your decision to follow after Jesus. And for your decision to follow after Jesus, so be it. Some of you will be rejected by your family for the stances that you take. So be it. 1 John 3.13, don't turn there, but it says, Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. Will you have to suffer for Christ? Well, if you're following hard after him, I'm going to tell you in some way you will. Francis Chan writes, Christians are people who believe in life after death. And the church is a bride that believes the groom is returning and he's going to take her away to be with him for all eternity. Our confidence in this truth produces actions that look stupid to the unbelieving world. Our hope motivates us to suffer. We understand the brevity of life and eagerly hope for the glorious eternity. We are sure of it. We are betting everything on it, even our lives. I think one thing that we need to start saying with that courageous spirit that all of us have is just simply say, Lord, I am all in. You know, when you play those card games and stuff like Texas Hold'em, you have these chips, a big pile of chips, and there comes a point where you say, hey, I am all in. In other words, you're betting on this. And everybody looks around going, wait, wait, he's, he's really interested. <laughs> he's pushing all in. I'm pushing all in. 
And I think for all of us it comes to a point where we quit holding on to some of the chips and some of this and say, God, I'll give you a little bit of this over here, and I'm going to take this over here, and I'm going to keep this here, and I'm going to quarantine all my little faith. And we just simply get to the point with courageous faith and we say, God, I am all in. Fling me to the nations. Use me. You know, we don't have those prayers anymore. We have, Lord, bless this little house. Make it cute and make it fun. Thank you for this. But we don't pray prayers like, God, use me. I want to be used by you. I don't care about careers, career paths, and focus, and where I'm here and where I'm there. God, I want to be used by you wherever you want to decide to use me. And if that means that my career path changes as a result of this, then so be it. God, if it requires that this prayer means that I let go of this thing to go after that, then so be it. Hebrews chapter 12 kind of sums it up. I think of the young people in this place, and I think where God would use you, and I read that story about Luke, who was a business leader, and God made him successful, and he said, I realize that God has made me successful. Not to just have me accumulate more stuff, but for me to be using this for the kingdom of God. Maybe God uses you in business. Maybe God uses you in the arts. Maybe God uses you with your voice. When you sing and you open up and you declare the things of God, that people are moved by the Holy Spirit and their lives are changed by it. Maybe God uses your mouth like me where... At the age of 15, I said, I'm called. I want to go after this. I have no idea what's going to take place. I just want to preach the gospel. You know, for me, it started with a wood spoon in my living room of my parents' house. Just walk around the table doing this. I remember I was over Rockford City First Church, whatever they call it now. When I go up on the stage and me and Jason would be there, I'd walk around and I'd be like, I think my first title message, no one was out there. I'm like, thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thank you. It was so funny. We would just act like we're having a service. We're like, Thank you. He'd be sitting up there with his leg crossed. Going, I'm like, thanks, Jace. I'll take it from here. Amen. Amen. Fifteen? Yeah. You know, little Samuel and the temple, I say that to my children even when they were younger, and even now, just saying, as you listen to the voice of God, God wants to speak to you, Samuel, Samuel. He gives Samuel a huge prophecy to the priest, a judgment to his children. Samuel's like, I am not saying that to him. God gives the young people the responsibility in the next generation. And when I was writing this, I was thinking of the young people in our church. And I was thinking of each one of them, how God is going to fling them to places and things to do his will and do his bidding. What kind of prayers will they pray and what things will they see? You know, in the last days, the Bible says that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. My young men and women will dream dreams and have visions. That's the idea. I want, I want my kids to have visions that are weird to them, that are outside of them, that doesn't make sense. I want us to look in the idea of the supernatural understanding. We live with a supernatural God who wants to use gifts and gifts of the spirit to do profound things and to impact this world. Parents, I challenge you to pray prayers that go much deeper than making sure Johnny eats the beans on his plate. Start to pray prayers of saying, Lord, I'm all in. 
I am faithful to you, God, above anything and everything else. Sandra, if you want to come up here and start playing. Next thing that I want us to think about in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus said, if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. That town and that city in Asia was known for the, the races and, and the events that they would be having. And they were given that, that crown that represented a trophy that they won. And for all of us here, God tells us, listen, if you finish the race and fight the good fight, that God's going to give us the crown of life. Today, I want you to see the crown. I don't want you to worry so much about today's problems. I don't want you to think about maybe even what the future holds of all this. I want you to think for a moment right now about the very presence of Jesus who is saying to you that I am with you and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, that I want to use you. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment? Maybe you see the crown today. Maybe God's calling you to be courageous and be a person full of conviction. Maybe he's calling you today to be a thermostat instead of a thermometer. We can walk into places all the time and kind of just go with the flow with the people. Go with what the group's saying and go with what the group's doing. Or we can be people who are actually setting the temperature of society. Folks, I'm going to tell you today... I'm not going with the plans of society and where it's going. I don't care what laws are passed, what laws aren't passed. I don't care who is for me. If God be for us, who can be against us? But today in this place, you say, man, I see this crown. This is simply a call to those who you say, you know what, Lord, use me today. In some special way, I want to grab hold of that. I want to grab hold of the crown. I want us to do something really simple and just have those people today that would respond to this would stand up and be accounted for to say, God, I'm going to be one of those people that's going to hold the crown. Today, if maybe God is calling you and you say, you know what? I want to be flung out to be used of God. I don't know how. But I want to be used of God. I've been so self-motivated and focused on where my focus will be in life, that I've forgotten the simple prayer of God, just simply use me. Just use me. However it would be. And as you serve God with that kind of prayer and that kind of tenacity and that kind of conviction and courage, God will use you. And He will be glorified. Today, if that's you, why don't you stand where you are as you're praying, Lord, use me right now where I'm at. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Use me. Use me. Use me. Use me where I'm at. I want to fling out. I want to be used of you. I don't want us to pray a special prayer together. I don't want it to be programmed. But right now where you stand, maybe you just simply just say, use in a breath prayer, God, use me where I'm at. Just right now, use me. Help me have courage. 
God, help me to have conviction. Lord, I've gone with the flow for too long. Help me to be somebody who is a thermostat, not a thermometer. Use me. Father, for all those who are standing here today, I simply pray, God, that you would use them in a very special and profound way. God, I thank you that you've already won the race for us and that you're our victory. And God, even when we stumble and when we fall, God, you are the faithful one and you've been completely faithful to us. Help me, help all of us, Lord, to be daily faithful to you. But help us to pray big prayers, God, and dream big dreams for you or through you. To simply pray the prayer, Lord, use me, cling me however you want to use me. Where do you want to use me? If it's in this jungle over here, use me. If it's in the jungle of my house, use me. If it's in the jungle at work, use me. If it's at school, and if it means that I don't have as many friends, use me. If it requires that God, I'm the weirdo, let me be the weirdo. Use me. And I thank you, God, that you give them the voice of a champion. And Lord, maybe they thought that they were the ones that were caged in. You're not caged in. The enemy's caged in. He's been defeated. And you will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. And today, when you get roared at this week, when you get roared at, realize today that the lion of the tribe of Judah is roaring over him. And he must submit to the word of God. To the name of Jesus Christ. Demons flee. We bind the enemy today from your life. That has been roaring at you. And today your ears are open to the spirit's understanding that the spirit's roar is a lot louder than his. And that you aren't caged in, you are free. And whomever the sun sets free is free indeed. I declare over you today that you are free. Child, son, daughter of God. And that you can pray a very special prayer this week, Lord, use me. Lord, I pray that this church, God, would be faithful to you. And be used of you in small ways, simple ways, big ways, creative ways. Ways that we never even dream. Use us, God. Use everyone here for your glory and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. (coughs) Pretty cool. God would want to use us. God would want to use you. Let God use you this week. Let God use you to speak into people's lives. I think of that simple story with Luke. I can't not keep keep going back to it, but he started just taking the word of God seriously. Started taking the things of God seriously and his convictions seriously. I think of Daniel and those men who said, you know what, we don't want the king's food. I don't care how good the food is. I don't care if that wine is a vintage wine from 1848. That wine is not going into my mouth. I don't care how good the meat is. Folks, you get to the point where you can stand like that with courage. God will use you. 
Don't let the summer be a summer where you just kind of get lazy. Let it be a summer where you get white hot on fire for Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I love you so much. You guys have a wonderful, wonderful week. If there's any prayer or anything you need, don't leave until you grab someone and pray with them. Amen.